Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Today, we're going to be going in just a moment to the book of Luke in the New Testament and the seventh chapter. And what we're going to be discussing is our only hope. Boy, it sounds critical, doesn't it? Our only hope. Well, you'll hear more about that in just a moment. But listen while I make this opening statement, because this will set the tone for what we're going to find out today. Sin is a debt owed to God. Let me say that one more time. Sin is a debt that is owed to God. Some people have a small debt. Other people have a great debt. However, whether it is little or much that is owed to God, we have nothing with which to pay. And we will not be welcomed into heaven owing this debt debt of sin. You cannot go to heaven owing a debt of sin. Forgiveness is our only hope. Forgiveness is our only hope. One day, While Jesus was preaching and teaching and healing people up in the Galilee region, he was invited to have dinner at the home of a Pharisee. Now, some of you may recognize that term Pharisee. It seems like a religious term, and it's written, uh, you know, many times in the New Testament. Well, Jesus was invited by a Pharisee who was not a believer, who was not a follower of Jesus. He was a Pharisee. And he invited Jesus to his home. Pharisees were members of a religious order of Jews. They were known for their strict legalistic interpretation and observance of the law of Moses. Pharisees are often seen in the New Testament as being very educated. They prided themselves in being educated and understanding what the Word of God meant. And they were also, in the Word of God, when we read them, we we can see that they're fairly judgmental. They're self-righteous. As a people group, they were pious. They were critical. And they felt like they were responsible to govern the behavior of other Jews. As a group... The Pharisees argued with Jesus constantly. They attempted to trick him and trap him. They tried to catch him in such a way that he would say something that they could argue was blasphemous or went against the law, and they wanted to take him to the high priest. In fact, in large part, the Pharisees were responsible for Jesus being arrested and crucified. And while... In the Bible, we see a few Pharisees believing in Jesus. Yet most of them remained antagonistic toward him. 
this particular Pharisee who lived up in the Galilee had been hearing about Jesus and, and perhaps he had even seen him on occasion walking through the city there. And, 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 and you know, Jesus would heal and Jesus would teach and, and Jesus would share wonderful principles from, from the Word of God. And a lot of people were following him. And this Pharisee that we're going to read about in a moment in Luke chapter 7 was evidently undecided about Jesus. He did not know if Jesus was really a prophet sent from God. Is he really a teacher sent from God or is he just another one of these men that's claiming to be somebody is he just looking for his own promotion this Pharisee didn't know and he wanted to observe Jesus he wanted to get into a situation where he could find out more about this man maybe he is from God or maybe he's not Jesus accepted the invitation. He went to the home of this religious man, this Pharisee, and he sat down to eat, the Bible tells us. Now, the culture of that day did not afford a table and chairs like we see today. The culture of that day was a little different. In fact, uh, meals would be served on the floor. Remember, these people were, uh, you know, uh, their roots were nomadic. And many times they lived in tents and moved around in tents. And so eating on the floor of the tent was nothing unusual. Sometimes there was a small bench, a low bench, like you might imagine at a Japanese restaurant or something like that, where you would sit down at something very low. And the custom was for men to recline. They would normally lean to their left and recline so that they could eat food with the, with the right hand because the right hand, uh, you know, uh, was important in many cultures. And there they were leaning on their left and up close enough to the food and they would bend their knees so that their feet were behind them trying to create more room so people could get closer to the food and also so the servants of the host could get around and, and replenish the food and the drink and, and, and still move around freely. And so here Jesus is reclining at this meal and the Bible says a certain immoral woman now, what do you think that means? I bet it means pretty much what you think it means. A certain, a very particular, a certain immoral woman. Evidently, she was known in town. Evidently, people around town, around that area were familiar with her. This certain immoral woman heard that Jesus was there. And the Bible says that she came into the room where they were eating. Came into the house and came into the room. Now, this was not altogether uncommon. This was not an odd occurrence. Since this culture also encouraged that when you have a feast, when you are putting on a buffet, whenever you're really, you know, cooking a lot of food and, and feeding a, a, a few people, whenever you have invited guests to your home and you have a feast, you're supposed to keep the doors open and the gates open so that 
widows and strangers and beggars and those that might be passing by, were they to be hungry, they should find a welcomed opportunity to come into the house and into the place where the food is being served and to ask for a piece of bread or a meal and they would be given that meal. So, you know, this woman, uh, you know, um, looking odd as she may have, even being um, perhaps known, perhaps even, you know, in, in some beggar or homeless status at some point, point, whatever was considered, whenever she came into the house, it was not all that uncommon. Her approach was relatively unnoticed at first. However, instead of asking for food, the woman walks around behind Jesus. And the Bible says that she walked behind Jesus and knelt down at his feet. That is the picture we get now of Jesus reclining, how his feet would have been behind him. Not like sitting at a table where she had to crawl under the table, you know. Here, this picture, it's, it's a cultural experience. And instead of asking for food, she knelt down at his feet, weeping. She had brought with her this beautiful alabaster jar of fragrant, expensive, oil-based perfume. This fragrant oil was kept in an alabaster box, as was the custom of that day, because this alabaster box, much like marble, very, very, you know, much, much of the same consistency, kept things pure and kept things safe so that something you had that was valuable, you know, it would last a long time. She brought this very expensive oil. We're not sure exactly where she got it, but it was very expensive. Perhaps it was her life savings. Or maybe whenever she heard that Jesus was in the house, she quickly went and prepared and took all the money she had and, and purchased this fragrant, expensive perfume and, 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 and brought this oil with her. Or perhaps it was left over. Maybe it had been one of her accessories with which she had lured men into her bedroom expecting that they would give her money in exchange for her favor. We do not know how she came by this costly ointment, but we do know that it was the greatest treasure she possessed. And nothing less would do, for she was bringing an offering to the man who had changed her life. As she knelt and wept, Her tears flowed. The picture in this original context means showered. Her tears showered. They were pouring. She was weeping. And her tears were showering the dusty, dirty feet of Jesus. And as her tears made his feet wet and soaked, she even bowed further and took her hair and began to wipe the dirt and the grime, cleaning his feet and drying his feet with her hair. Now, hair was a mystery 
in that culture. It was kept hidden and kept secret. In fact, today, if you go with me, and, and 50 of you are going with me next year, we're going to Israel, and you'll be seeing the chaste, modest, religious order of women that still keep their hair up and covered because they do not want other men to see their hair. They don't want to become the object of lust and enticement. So they kept their hair covered, but not this woman. You see, in her previous trade, her hair was used to lure men. She would let it down, and it was a great asset so that men would, would be mystified, would be drawn, filled with lust, and with the promise of more to come. Here she is taking one of her most valuable and prized possessions. And she's cleaning the dirt, cleaning the dust, and wiping the muddy tears off the feet of Jesus. She isn't standing in some doorway calling to the simple, turn in here. But she's modestly and humbly showing the love, the thankfulness, the brokenness, the gratefulness that comes from her broken heart. As she dries his feet, she begins to kiss them as a sign of worship, as a sign of submission as a sign of commitment. Then she takes the precious oil from the alabaster jar and she begins to pour it on the feet of Jesus and begins to massage his feet. This was not some quick anointing. The indication is, is that she is continuing to rub the oil on his feet and kissing his feet and weeping humbly, serving her master. She has brought him her very best and given him her all. While this is happening, the Pharisee is sitting over there piously observing what's going on. Remember, this Pharisee has brought Jesus into his house so that he can know, is this man a prophet or is he just a man that, that, that is pulling some charade here? And so the Pharisee sitting over there observing this, he makes his mind up about Jesus and he decides that this is not a man of God. This man has not been sent from God. He is no prophet for if he was a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this was touching him. And he would never allow this woman to touch him if he was really a man sent from God. Because she is a sinner. This Pharisee, in knowing the word of God, had forgotten one thing that was written by a prophet some, you know, 800 years earlier. 
This prophet, speaking by the Spirit of God, said that God hates. It's a stench in his nostrils. It's like burning plastic all day long that he's having to smell. When someone says that, oh, keep away from me. Don't come near me. I'm holier than you are. I'm better than you are. Isaiah said that God, that's like smoke in his nostrils. The Pharisee evidently wasn't quite as educated as he thought he was. Well, while he is there judging Jesus for not knowing who the woman is, Jesus feels no responsibility to prove himself, to say, I know who she is and what she's done. Rather than Jesus saying, I know her, Jesus said, I know you. He's going to prove that he knows what is going on in the mind of that Pharisee. And he begins to reveal the Pharisee's very thoughts to him. Jesus says, hey, I have something I want to say to you. And the Pharisee said, go ahead. Well, Jesus cares about the Pharisee. He loves the Pharisee. Jesus loves everybody. You know. So Jesus wants to teach him something. And when Jesus begins to teach, normally Jesus goes to a parable. Normally Jesus went to a parable, just like Nathan the prophet with David, when he went to David and, and wanted to tell David, you know, God said, Nathan, go down and tell David that he has sinned with Bathsheba and killing Uriah. Well, you know, Nathan gets down to David's house. You can read about it in 2 Samuel. And when he gets there, he starts telling him a parable. One man had one sheep and another man had a lot of sheep. And all of a sudden, David, you know, says, well, this is the remedy for that situation. Well, Jesus tries to turn this same light on. You know, the Holy Spirit really does value you seeing the truth and you deciding what the remedy is for your life. He, he, he really doesn't want to just tell you what to do. He wants you to realize that this is right. This is just. So parables are places that you should try to find yourself in the parable. And if you can decide the remedy for that person, then you have just created an exit for yourself. So Jesus begins to teach this truth in a parable. Luke 7 tells us that Jesus began by saying, listen, Simon, that was the Pharisee's name. Listen, Simon, there were, there were two people who borrowed some money from another person. There were two debtors who borrowed some money from a creditor. One debtor borrowed only a little, 50 pieces of silver. The other debtor, he borrowed 500 pieces of silver. Now, we recognize that Jesus is talking about Simon the Pharisee and this certain immoral woman. We understand from the parable that the debtors are Simon and the woman. The creditor is God. And what they owe the creditor is a debt of sin. One only owes a little sin, and the other one owes a lot. And as Jesus continues the story, 
These two debtors, one owing 50 pieces of silver, one owing 500, neither one of them had the ability to pay. And so the creditor, with his kindness, forgave both of them. And then he says to Simon, Simon, which one of these debtors loves most? And Simon said, well, the one who was forgiven the most is the most appreciative, is the most loving, is the most grateful, is the most thankful. And Jesus said, you are right. You have judged right. Right there is where Jesus sets his seal, his I am God seal on a truth. And the truth is, there are differing levels of sin. There are differing levels of sinners. Some sin is small and some sin is big. Some sinners owe a lot to God. And some sinners only need a little forgiveness. But the truth is that whether you owe a little or whether you owe a lot, you have no ability to pay it. And their only hope was forgiveness. It's also possible that Jesus could have been referring to the amount that Simon the Pharisee had spent on Jesus. Probably only 50 pieces of silver to have that, you know, dinner, that meal. It was insufficiently hosted, by the way, you know. But, you know, and probably the perfume may have cost as much as 500 pieces of silver. But evidently, there are categories and differing levels of sin and sinners. The Pharisee did not owe God much for his sin. It's clear. The Pharisee was probably a pretty good man. You know, I mean, come on now. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, you know, uh, hungry. He wasn't lustful. He wasn't lonely. He was accepted in the synagogue. He lived a good life, you know. I mean, he had the ability to invite Jesus into his house. He wasn't looking, you know, for Jesus to give him anything. I mean, he was, he was uh, you know, just, just oh, the, the Pharisee was only in need of a little forgiveness. Okay? I mean, come on now. Many of you probably have been in that category. Before you met Jesus, you probably only needed a little forgiveness. Sure. I mean, I meet people all the time that are just good people. You know, this wasn't, this, this wasn't the only Pharisee that Jesus met that only needed a little bit. Nicodemus. He only needed just a little bit. He was so close. He was a Pharisee. He came to Jesus in John 3, and Jesus said, well, yeah, 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 but listen, you know, you need just a little bit, and you can't do it. You must be born again. <laughs> you know, you've got to, forgiveness is your only hope. 
because you cannot go to heaven. How can I get into heaven, he said? You must be born again. You remember the young rich ruler that came to Jesus in Luke 18? He came to Jesus and fell down at his feet and said, Sir, what do I have to do to get into heaven? What do I have to do to have eternal life? What do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus said, Well, you know what you're supposed to be doing. And the man said, I'm doing it. My goodness, you know, I don't commit adultery. I don't rob. I don't steal. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I honor my mother and my father. I mean, I, I don't need much. And Jesus said, well, there's a little bit that you're missing. And the little bit that you're missing is you need to be born again. You need to give your whole life to me. You need to come and follow me. You need to lay your life down and take up the life that I give you. You know, the apostle Paul was the same way. He was a good man. He was a religious man. He was a teacher of the law. He was not a bad man. He just had a bad doctrine. He only needed just a little bit. Simon the Pharisee just needed a little bit of forgiveness. He only owed 50 pieces of silver. This woman, however, whoo, she needed a lot. She needed to be given, forgiven 500 pieces of silver. Jesus is saying to, to this Pharisee, He's saying to Simon in this parable that I understand that this woman is ten times the sinner you are. I agree. She's ten times worse than you are. She owes God ten times as much as you do. But neither one of you can pay. The woman had been forgiven so much. The woman knew it, and that's why she was demonstrating such unbridled love toward Jesus. She had been desperate. She had experienced the difference that Jesus had made in her life. You see, because she was already forgiven, that's why she brought this. She already had a life change. She didn't bring this oil to Jesus trying to purchase her salvation. She brought this oil to Jesus because of her salvation. Something had happened on the inside of her. Jesus makes that very plain. It was because she had been forgiven that she came and demonstrated such humility, such such love, such brokenness, such gratefulness, such thanksgiving to him. The Pharisee thought he knew her. But she had changed, and he had missed it. It wasn't Jesus that didn't know her. It was the Pharisee. You know, other people do not need our permission to change to repent or to change. They do not need our permission to repent and change, but they do deserve our notice. We should notice when people come before the Lord with a true heart of repentance, weeping and humbly giving thanks to Almighty God offering their lives fresh to him. Allow me to give us two points to ponder before we read our passage of Scripture today. I know you've been holding Luke 11 for a while, but here's a point that we'll ponder. Number one, God does not always feel like we do about others. Here the Pharisee made a grave mistake. He imagined that God felt like he felt about that woman. That woman was a sinner. 
That woman had a lot of sin in her life. That woman was a harlot. That woman was immoral. That woman, and here she is in my house, and I feel this way about her, and if that was a man of God, he would feel like I feel because God feels like I feel because everybody thinks God feels like I feel. Come on now. Every religious, pious, self-righteous person believes that God feels like I feel about the person that I don't like. Come on, this is good stuff. But you're wrong. God doesn't feel like you feel about the person that you don't like. God doesn't feel like we do about others. Point number two, people can change without our permission, but hopefully not without our notice. A broken and a contrite heart, the Lord will not despise, and neither should we. We should not X people off because of their sins that are past. It would have been a different story if this woman had just wanted to get some excuse me's instead of forgive me. It would have been a different story if she had wanted to have continued in her sin. But she had changed. People who want to continue in their sins, this is not the story for that. But you and I can well see when other people change. And when they do, we should recognize it and appreciate it. Have you found Luke 7 yet? From the New Living Translation, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the large debt the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, 
and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. The sins were forgiven is the reason she was showing the love. But the person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What did change look like for the woman? It looked like brokenness. It looked like gratefulness. It looked like humility. It looked like loving kindness as she demonstrated her servant's heart in giving everything she had to Christ. What would change have looked like for the Pharisee? He only needed a little. Well, change for the Pharisee would have looked the very same way. Because whether you need a little or whether you need a lot, you have nothing with which to pay. Change for the Pharisee would have looked the same. You see, forgiveness is our only hope. And the only way to be forgiven is to be born again. To offer ourselves unto Jesus Christ. And then once we are, we should no longer be living as though we are not. We should not continue to be critical and judgmental and pious and self-righteous and, and, and too good for other people. It's a stench in the nostrils of God when his children feel as though that other people should not be around them, can't touch them, I don't want them, because you know they may have changed. They may need the change that only comes from the witness that you provide, Jesus Christ. Today I want to encourage you. If you are not born again, today is your day. If you have never felt the broken, grateful, humble, thankful heart that comes when you are set free from sin and given an eternity with Christ, then perhaps you need to check your salvation. You might say, well, I've been pretty good all my life. I only needed a little. <laughs> well, the little you need, you can't afford what does change look like? It looks like a thankful, grateful heart. For he brought me up out of a miry pit and he set my feet upon a rock and he put a new song in my heart. I will yet praise him. I will extol the Lord on high. You know, with thanksgiving in my heart, I will come into his gates and his courts with praise. I will say that he is my God, my fortress, my shield. In him I trust. How long has it been since you have had that broken, thankful, humble, grateful heart? How long has it been since you've let Jesus know how much 
you appreciate him paying your debt. Forgiveness is our only hope.